welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, and with us today is Dr. Yonel Stefan from Amprius. Amprius is a, a, a battery company, battery startup that we've been covering for seems like several years now. I think it's been uh, what year was Amprius founded? 2008. 2008. So yes, five years. So yeah, we it's it's always been kind of like. Uh, Oh, this could really be something story. You know, it's not not big supply deals or anything like that, but sort of uh, innovation, rapid innovation, potentially big technology improvements. So today we're going to talk about where Amprius is right now with its uh, technological progress and commercialization. But first, but first, let's just get a word from Yonel on how Amprius got started. I know you weren't with the exact founding team, but joined quickly after the company was founded, and also just how you got into this this space and ended up at Amprius. Yes, uh, so thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. I started in 2009 with Amprius when the team was uh, was actually formed. The company was founded in 2008, but we started operations in 2009 after uh, funding. And uh, that's when we set up the first lab. I was the electrochemist in that team. Yeah, you need um, money. You need money to pay people like you, right? <laughs> people with PhDs yeah. don't just work for free after they get their PhD, right? So the mission at the beginning was to to make silicon work, and uh, the idea was from uh, Stanford University, from Professor Ishui Lab, that if silicon is anchored to the current collector, to the foil of the current collector, then um, uh, it will be able to withstand the uh, the stresses of cycling because silicon um, uh, is is a material that uh, when it absorbs lithium or litiates, it uh, suffers significant stress, mechanical stress by expansion. And then when it delitiates, it contracts again. So these cycles of expansion and contraction are very stressful at the material level, which uh, typically leads to surface uh, cracks forming and material mechanical structure uh, integrity problems. So the idea was that if you form it in a nanostructure, like nano nanowires, um, there are other attempts, nanotubes and other types, but we started with nanowire uh, idea. And one end is directly attached to the current collector meaning is grown actually from the current collector, then the mechanical stress will be mitigated and uh, uh, the material will be able to withstand the the multiple cycles of uh, material expansion and contraction. So that was uh, the idea. And we started with a team of, um, there were a few people uh, with experience in material uh, science, uh, semiconductors, because silicon uh, will uh, will bring the most experience from that industry. And then we needed a team on battery development to make silicon work as, as an anode material in batteries. And since then, it took us about uh, three, four years to actually achieve a structure that 
met the, the requirements for, as a battery material. Of course, uh, the idea initially was uh, uh, supported by a catalyst, which was very expensive. It was gold catalyst. Uh, that's how uh, silicon nanowires were formed at that time in, in laboratory uh, settings. We replaced completely that in about a year. We don't have a catalyst anymore. And the, the remaining uh, structure is still the same. It's a structure that's directly grown from the current collector. So that's still very highly mechanically stable. It has very high conductivity, very high electrical conductivity and porosity. Porosity is very important in, in batteries, in battery electrodes, because it um, allows the diffusion of ions. And that gives us very high energy density as well as power capability. So it's a very unique set of combinations of properties that this material has. It's, it's light because we don't use any binders, we don't use any conductive additives, anything else is just silicon. It's anchored to the current collector. Uh, we call it a metallurgical connection because again, it's no binders, it's not a glue type material. It's grown from the current collector. So it's like a tree rooted from the ground instead of a, of a stick in the ground. Uh, or attached to the ground. So if you want that comparison. Then um, the porosity and uh, the capacity of the material gives us uh, much lower swelling or material expansion at the cell level. So typically that's the problem that uh, everybody that's trying to use silicon will, will notice immediately is that uh, due to material expansion, the cell, the battery also expands. With this type of structure, most of the swelling or material expansion is contained inside the structure. You don't see it at the cell level. The cell level is uh, about the same as graphite or as current cells. So three to five to 6%, depending on the type of battery, depending on, on the um, uh, structure. So and that's... Uh, that's what uh, how we started and by 2014 or, or so we had the entire process manufacturing process uh, figured out at laboratory level so we knew the steps how to how to grow these wires how to deposit silicon how to make it cycle long enough then um, uh, we had to develop manufacturing processes at larger scales so or scale up and that's uh, that's what usually takes longer time yeah. most in most cases for startups than um that's the just hard figuring step. out <laughs> yes the, yeah. the science part now you have the engineering the material science manufacturing supply so, chain yeah. yes by 2000 by 2018 we had integrated all these processes in a manufacturing uh, equipment piece of equipment so that's when we started actually selling our first batteries to customers mm -hmm. not only sampling but it happened that uh, there was an application by airbus this high altitude pseudo satellite it's a solar electric drone basically okay. that needed very high energy density so they came to us and asked if we can make 400 watt hour per kilogram batteries mm -hmm. and uh, at that time we had about 360 that's uh, that's what we were working on 
And uh, in two or three months, we, we got to 400 and they tested it, liked it. And since then, it's, it's uh, you know, is the battery of record for that application. And, and last year, year they, yeah, last year they flew 64 continuous days in, in the oh. stratosphere. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we might have covered, I don't know, we've covered those concepts in the past. I'm curious if we covered that that one, but it's an interesting, yeah, where they can just fly basically continuously forever, theoretically. I mean, because they have solar uh, energy, they're above the clouds uh, off sometimes, I mean, often. And uh, yeah, if you have battery for the for the brakes, whatever. For well, the night. Yeah, especially yeah, light, uh, high density battery. And what's your personal? What? How did you get into this? In terms of you know, even from initial studies, what did you study in in college and uh, get a PhD in? And then, you know, what was your idea at the time that you would that you would be in a field like this, or you or 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 what? Yes, I um, I was in um, electrochemistry in. School, I started, I mean, in grad school, I started doing analytical chemistry and electrochemistry. So I liked uh, sensors and electron reactions. So my background is in chemistry, but I was always interested at uh, chemical reactions at electrodes, and that's electrochemistry by definition. And during my uh, PhD, I studied the battery materials as well as uh, other type of um, um, electrode reactions. And then I worked on fuel cells, actually, at uh, Berkeley National Laboratory, then went to another company working on uh, fuel cells and started working also on batteries with silicon nanowire. So what year was that this? was my, my first uh, encounter with silicon nanowire was at a company called Nanosys. What year was that? Uh, it was in 2005. Okay. Yes, and and then um, uh, started working on on battery materials, and uh, I heard about uh, uh, this publication from Stanford uh, University on silicon nanowire that are directly rooted to the current collector. And when Amprius started operations, I I moved to to Amprius uh, from Nanosys, and that's how I I got in this uh, field. Yeah, so I I was working on. Uh, energy generation and storage right for a very long time for about 20 years now yeah well we have a funny story because you know i you must be aware of this you know in 2020 uh leading up to tesla battery day <laughs> we the you know the the tesla fan community kind of has always been quite good at figuring stuff out ahead of time uh before tesla announced it or whatever the quite good uh, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of science and tech people, and they, they uncover things. Well, a handful of them thought they had uncovered that Tesla was going to buy Amprius. <laughs> and we, I yeah. wrote, the, I wrote, I waited because I didn't want to get into the rumor game. We'd done that, you know, we, we were avoiding that, but there seemed to be a lot of signs that they were going to, that there was going to be some kind of, you know, something with Amprius going on because you guys, you're, you're, your headquarters there is like right right in the middle of the Tesla campus, more or less, like it was surrounded by Tesla buildings. And, and you know, two there's sides, people, people who worked at Amprius who then went to, uh, well, I know there was a guy who went from Amprius to another company, I forget what it was, and then to Tesla, oh, Maxwell, Amprius, Maxwell, Tesla. And, you know, also they, directly had, from they had a preview, <laughs> they had a kind of preview image that was supposed to be unidentifiable for uh, teasing Battery Day. 
and it looked a lot like nano wires <laughs> to a lot of people. I think if I remember correctly, so look on nano. Wires. So it was like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna write it up, and I wrote it up, and then Elon responded, uh, no, nothing's happening. <laughs> I was like, oh my, but it's still, you know, there's a lot of mixed blood there. There's a lot of, you know, I'm sure scientists that you know are bouncing off of each other or going from place to place. You know, the, the whole Silicon Valley area, of course, is known for that. But then, yes. you know, that area also becoming a bit of a of an EV battery, EV tech hub. I know Elon, I would say, conceded in making the Palo Alto Tesla facility their headquarters for, for basically tech R&D stuff after supposedly it was going to move to Austin because, you know, that's where people are. That's where stuff happens. I think yeah. it, it was a kind of... Yeah, so you have a lot of you have a lot of people there. I'm sure you're you you're constantly like, you know, developing, innovating, and finding finding ways to to do that. Can you just explain a little bit? Yeah, what has changed from say 2020 to to now at Amprius? What have you, or even just you know more recently? If if it's hard to go, it's hard to go back two or, two or three years sometimes because like what what was happening two or three years ago. But generally speaking, what's happened in recent in the recent years or months that Amprius is excited about? So yes, uh, many things have uh, have changed, and we're uh, much more focused now on uh, on uh, delivering uh, products to customers. So we're uh, scaling up, as I said. That's that's the let's say the the main trust of the companies to to scale up to quantities that will support more markets, as well as uh, developing those markets, developing those applications or, and, or products that support uh, support them. So that's the main trust. We have uh, now some production in Fremont. We're scaling up that production 10 times. We announced um, the factory in Colorado. That will be about half a gigawatt hour uh, capacity uh, when, uh, when we'll be finished. And even even with these capacities, the first markets are still high-end premium markets like electric flight. We discovered this uh, application as needing a lot of uh, our batteries. So because they have such a high energy density and such a high power and electric flight is exactly focused on that. Typically, batteries see a trade-off between power and energy. If you want to get a high power cell, then it doesn't have that much energy density. And electric flight needs both. So they need this advanced advanced batteries uh, very much. And, and I believe uh, according- Elon or others said that you need 400 watt hours per, you know, is, that's the energy yeah. density you need for- Pretty for much, power. yes. 400 watt for EV toll, for um, urban air mobilities, you know, you can call them any way you want, flying cars, flying taxis, but yeah, flying, yeah a few decades uh, ago, machine. flying cars was the the, the theme, now, then it's been uh, electric vehicle, uh, sorry, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Yeah. And that's sort of, I don't know, maybe I'm just not following as much. It doesn't seem as hyped right now as it was a few years ago. But in any case, that's like, I mean, the electric car market could obviously use higher density batteries, but a big push there right now is is increasing scale, lowering cost. That's what it's all yeah. about. Like they've got a few options, whereas with electric flight, which a lot of people are very excited about, a lot of people say it's basically like electric cars were 15 years ago. 
it's like at that stage kind of you know you need you need that higher energy density like you can't you can't live without it and you know you at this stage it's early startup stuff it's early products there's going to be a premium on being the first so there's uh, the ability to pay for it and then for you and them to scale up together whereas you know um it's just the timing has to match well i assume right that's that's exactly right yes uh, we are we are growing with this market and uh, they need uh, this type of performance there is also a very large market in the unmanned aerial systems all kind of drones um, flying uh, flying um, machines that carry packages, carry different loads. Now you can see in the defense industries, they, uh, they pretty much took over a lot of interest. So that's, uh, that's a military contra contract. Cause those are once you get in with, um, the government or the military specifically, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty set with making money and, and being able to survive. Right. Yeah, so compared to commercial markets, military markets may not be as large, yes, but they are still pretty large. And that's another point that I wanted to bring is that in scaling up, you have to go to through certain levels. You cannot uh, scale from uh, uh, a few megawatt hour to a few gigawatt hour or 10, 20 gigawatt hour in, in one step. There are some intermediary steps uh, in all new technologies. There are pieces of equipment production lines that may need to be modified somewhat and to make those work directly to at gigawatt hour scale is very costly. So that's why in between there are markets that are maybe not directly gigawatt hour, but they are very lucrative as well. So that's our path. And uh, I think it's much more realistic than uh, saying that we will scale immediately to 10 gigawatt hour or, or above, because now in EV, if you don't have in the tens of gigawatt hour capacity, it's not cost competitive. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but again, at least you're, you've got a market that's young, but growing fast has a lot of potential that you could be the, one of those key suppliers for what can you mention any other what, what companies can you mention or what clients can you mention that you uh, have contracts with? So I mentioned already Airbus and we're, we're also, uh, we have publicly announced uh, Air Environment, Teledyne Fleur and BAE. So as you, as you can see, they are all in the defense industries. So, but uh, these are major, I mean, these are co big companies that have been involved in the EV, EV in the toll. We need a better, I mean, let's just go back drone, to cars, drone. right? <laughs> yeah, unmanned, unmanned aerial systems in general, yes. Yeah, yeah but that's the first. So um, if you look at the studies done by uh, different um, uh, consulting companies on, on market size, from a dollar point of view, this uh, electric flight markets um, could be as large or almost as large as EV markets by 2020. 2027 time frame and definitely about the same by 2030 uh, because uh, even though they they may be smaller in numbers the batteries are larger and they need to be replaced more often so a flying taxi for example will will uh, run a few trips per day like 10 to 12 or some something like that trips per day each of them half an hour to 40 minutes that means um, that uh, 
it will be charged discharged much more often than a car and they expect to be to, to need battery replacement like two three years in two three years so it's a much much better market for for batteries actually i'm going to ask about a few markets here so first of all my wife got an Apple, we got my wife an Apple watch uh, this year. And one of the, the, the big thing that was shocking to us is that you have to charge it every day. <laughs> like, it was like, whoa, really? You have to charge it every day? I mean, apparently the more expensive ones, I think maybe last you know, a couple of days or something. But but yeah, in theory, your your battery could, you know, charge uh, these smaller devices more, where you don't have to charge them every night or else it doesn't work the next day. Is that potentially a market for you or is that too small, too small uh, device? It does not match for some reason, or is that, is that a potential market? No, it's, it's, it's definitely a potential market. Yes. And uh, what we achieved is uh, typically a doubling of uh, runtime in, um, yeah, we, we had some tests with uh, smartwatches as well. It doubles the talk time, doubles the operation time. Some new features like video recording uh, that were done also work much better. So yeah, it is it is a market that so, that could could benefit uh, almost all. So our technology is is relatively agnostic to the application. Okay. Uh, we're making pouch cell now. Pouch cell are are the ones that are in uh, consumer electronics. Uh, they are very easy to customize in different shapes, different sizes. Almost every piece of electronics has a different type of pouch cell inside. That makes it both easier to go into the market because you design specifically for a product, but that product becomes obsolete relatively fast. So you don't produce as many. Yes. Yeah, good points. It's an interesting thing, actually, when you think about it. There's been pushed for years. We've just covered very infrequently, but I know we have uh, to make things more modular, more uh, interchangeable, but it just, it's not the way the industries go. Well, I sort of wrote off cars earlier, you know, talking about how they need higher scale, lower costs, but actually it's the same deal, uh, whether it's watches, cars, there's always, you know, a more premium segment of the market and lower cost segment of the market. And I'm sure there's always an opening for uh, long, very long range electric cars that cost more, but you know, if you're a millionaire, billionaire, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, you just want the longest range car you can buy. So I imagine there's still also, you still uh, have an eye on the electric car market Absolutely. and off, offering batteries for like a super premium EV with super long range. Yeah. That's where it starts. Yes. And the advantage is that when you double the energy content in the same battery, it, it also, this, our technology comes also with high energy density per liter, not only per kilogram. So you can have about the same weight of a car. It's, it's this, uh, even smaller in battery size. So that means that it will take less space in the car. It may need uh, uh, less uh, cooling, uh, less reinforcement of the, of the car. So overall, the car could be more efficient, even for exactly the same cell weight, or let's say the energy content of the battery. Uh, the other, the other uh, face of the coin is that you can go to a battery that has the same type of energy, the same amount of energy, but now it's significantly smaller, probably less than half the size of a typical battery. So it can go 
it will need significantly less car weight, car reinforcement uh, supports and so on. Cooling, um, uh, battery packaging in general uh, takes space and weight. So even now, if you have, let's say, um, an 80 kilowatt hour battery pack, like in most cars these days, it will go longer with the same amount of energy because the car will be lighter and that means more efficiency. That's a really big point. Also, you know, we've always, we've, you know, we've basically always focused on tailpipe emissions, but a significant amount of particulate emissions and, and uh, pollution basically that comes from cars is actually from the braking, the brake, brake dust and the, the tires and stuff. And this is increased with weight. So, you yes. know, if you want to get really, you know, hyper, hyper green, uh, hyper focused on efficiency and cutting pollution, uh, cutting weight is a big part of that. And this is, a, this is a big part of that as well, of course. And, you know, naturally, most of the most of the buying public is not focused on that. And, uh, you know, we we have now the Hummer EV, the Cybertruck, the Ford F-150 Lightning, you know, these these big trucks and bigger SUVs. Uh, coming to market to appeal to everyone to get everyone driving zero emissions but you know there's always going to be a market of people who want the greenest vehicle and that's that's got to be one with a very um, lightweight high energy density battery yeah i i can add actually that uh, uh, this could make it greener uh, this type of technology could make it better for going to larger cars larger trucks larger you know applications because that's where uh, with the current technology, they become too heavy. They become too too bulky. And uh, yeah, there's yeah, this sort of the, with, the, with the semi truck. There's this sort of debate that's been going on for years. Yeah, <laughs> so you yes. see so you nodding. This is you know about whether you can do it with batteries or you need hydrogen fuel cells. Of course, Tesla has its semi rolling out now, but there's still a big debate of what's the best way. And I mean, that seems like the, the super solution, right? And, and uh, you, you can see it with the, the trucks that were announced, um, um, now the, the Dodge uh, truck, uh, electric truck. It has over 200 kilowatt hour battery pack, 228, I think, uh, kilowatt hour battery pack. That's huge. It's huge. It's more than twice what a car will have. And, and that's to, to go for roughly the same, the same range. A little bit longer, but not yeah. not by by a lot. So if you can have now a, a much lighter battery, it doesn't need 228 kilowatt hour. No. It, it, do, it may do it with much less. And again, that's a segment of the the vehicle market that offer that often comes with a big premium. The automakers make a big profit on those. You can put a more efficient, you know, somewhat more expensive uh, battery in there. But also, you know, the, the heavy trucking, there's all different levels of heavy trucking, you know, um, medium and heavy duty trucking where they need to transport goods and they're not all going to be transporting light Frito-Lay's chips. You know, they're going to yeah. be transporting heavy stuff sometimes and they want to have the truck as light as possible so they can transport more, right? So it's all, it seems like it's very exciting, you know, I, I, I'm excited for you. I, we're going to come to one or two more ish, issues, but I just, I'm just curious, like what, you seem excited about all of the markets. Is, are there any any particular markets that that it, that you especially get eager to 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 look at and and you know work with? So uh, as I said, I, I think electric flight is going to be 
very large and I'm particularly excited about, about that. And it's because even though I'm excited about um, electric cars, I drive an electric car and I think they are fun to drive, they are not as different from gasoline cars or internal combustion engine cars to say they, they, that's a, it's a huge shift in perception uh, for people driving them. So roughly they're equivalent or try to even be equivalent. But electric flight is something completely different. They can, you know, literally change the landscape. Uh, if you can jump from one city to another um, between airports, uh, you know, ranges of a uh, hundred something miles are the most common uh, for, for flying. I, I, just uh, read recently that about uh, 80% of the flights, maybe it's it's misinformation, but uh, a, a lot of flights are uh, short range. So between regional cities, between uh, uh, cities at short distance, not all of them are intercontinental or in, you know, yeah. from one side, one coast to another. So this type of flight can be fully electrified now. And uh, that will mean that it doesn't have to be a large airplane. It can be a four passenger, eight passenger, 10 or so passenger flying machine. And going 200 miles just from one top of the building to another top of the building could be enough or, or to, to a you know, landing port or something. Like. It can change the landscape. Almost any skyscraper can become now a landing spot. And that's what uh, I, I'm very excited about. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, I think even if you're taking a long distance flight, it's got, uh, there's often some small, some shorter distance flights within that, that you have, that you're taking as well. So it's, you know, it, the 80%, yeah, I don't know the source, but it, it sounds reasonable. I, I feel like I've seen something like that before too. Yeah. Well, I know people who were like really excited about covering the electric car uh, market 10, 15 years ago, who just switched to you know, fully switched to the electric flight market. Uh, it, it's where it's at. It's it's the new, you know, it's the exciting new, new, uh, what do you call it? New horizon. Uh, but yeah, well, let's, so I just want to highlight one. one oh, yes. yeah, go ahead. Well, um, you know, one argument is um, uh, I, I've seen uh, also presented, you know, when, when the uh, cars appeared, when cars appeared in the, in the early uh, 20th century, there are on, on the internet you can find comparison in uh, New York uh, in uh, 1908 and then in uh, about uh, 10 years later. It was 95% uh, horse and carriage and then 95% cars. You can barely find a horse or you can barely find the car in, uh, in these two different years. And they were only about 10 years apart. So it changed so much because the difference was was significant, or you know the the perception of um, transportation changed significantly between those two years. So with electric cars, it didn't happen like that. It's it, it needs uh, government incentives. It needs to be uh, mandated somewhat by uh, efficiencies. By uh, so. That's that's because it's not that different than internal combustion engine, but electric flight, it doesn't need government incentives. I think once once it starts, 
to be visibly better and uh, to be applied, it will change very fast. That's a fascinating statement. Yeah, I had. I don't think I've ever gotten that that statement or that argument, but it's a very compelling one. So, you you have you've you've said this in a couple of different ways, but I just I saw this on an announcement from you that cells provide a runtime of two hundred percent compared to state of the art graphite cells while being lighter and smaller than other batteries with the same energy content. I just think that's a big, yeah, it's a big deal, obviously for some of these segments that are already using your, your batteries. What, what about progress on bringing down costs? I'm sure that's, that's the critical thing for every startup to do in order to become a, a breakthrough company. What's going on in that, in that space? Yes, so we, we are bringing down costs as we scale up. Uh, silicon by itself is, uh, is not an expensive material. Silicon is actually the second most abundant material on Earth after oxygen. Uh, so there won't be a, a constraint like with uh, metals or with, uh, with other uh, materials. It's also produced in US at, uh, at relatively high rates. It's used in semiconductor industry, in solar industry, in many other industries. And it, it's relatively easy to scale up the production of that, uh, of the supply chain. Yeah, so we won't be constrained by that. The uh, main um, factor in cost reduction will be the scale of production. So as I said, you can't compare the cost of a battery produced at even hundreds of megawatt hour, like consumer electronics to tens of gigawatt hour as in uh, electric vehicles. So it's already a pretty significant difference. Uh, you know, uh, consumer electronics are in a few hundred dollars per kilowatt hour to 300 or so. EVs are a hundred something. So it's already a double uh, there just by, by scale. So different markets have different um, uh, cost per kilowatt hour and you have to get to the same type of scale to be competitive. Sounds good. With similar and materials. Sorry. So yeah, I know you guys have you you've had some DOE funding in the past, Department of Energy, US Department of Energy funding. Just curious, is there any are you getting any new funding from uh, you know, the bipartisan infrastructure law or any other uh, you know, the the Inflation Reduction Act, anything else? from the current Biden administration that's helping you to ramp up? Yeah, thank you for that uh, question. Yes, we have enjoyed um, uh, significant support over the years from uh, from different uh, government agencies, DOE, one of them. We also work with um, uh, US Army, NASA, and uh, other agencies. Currently, we have um, received you know, approval for uh, uh, infrastructure from the infrastructure bill to build this uh, factory in Colorado for the demonstration plant of 500 megawatt hour. Uh, this is a, a demonstration plant because it's a next generation type material. It's silicon, it's our uh, silicon nanowire technology. And it's a very significant uh, step for us going to that kind of scale from the few megawatt hour that uh, we have here in in Fremont. Uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been a fascinating discussion. Great to hear the progress being made. You know, it's unfortunate a lot of the startups we cover in the clean tech world, we cover them and then they go away. 
but it's great when one is sticking around, making progress and, you know, sort of seeming like uh, they're achieving, you know, their potential and, you know, on the path to like a, a major, major uh, market. So it looks like that that's the case here. And, uh, you know, I think like like you and most people, electric flight is very exciting, compelling market that we have to cover more and more. And I, I think we will be in the next, you know, in the next decade. So excited to see that grow. And we'll be sure when everyone else is just covering the planes, we'll be sure to be noticing if it's Amprius in the powering the, the EV, the electric flight and, and not or or someone else. But thank you. Yeah, we hope to have a sticker Amprius inside, like Intel inside. <laughs> yes, exactly. Intel inside. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Have a good day. We'll have to visit your facility at some point too. So uh, keep us in mind. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.